0: It might feel strange to have this episode, one poking around at the immune system itself, to come after the last few episodes. But here's why I did it. The immune system is alphabet soup. When you speak to an immunologist or try to read a paper about the immune system, you almost need to learn a new language. There are Th1s and 2s, B cells, T cells, IL3, 4, 5, interferon gamma, APCs, and it goes on. It's so hard to keep it all in your mind without any context, or I guess years of study. We don't have time for years of study. And the way our brains tend to learn new information is by incorporating it into things we already know. That's why I felt that starting from the systems you know, skin, lungs, gut, and adding in a bit of immune system terminology in those contexts would help you remember them a bit better. So this episode is not about introducing you to the immune system. Armed with what you have heard in the last few episodes, this episode is about zooming out to pull together or reinforce how the immune system reacts or interacts with the skin, lungs, and gut in overlapping ways.
1: My name is Dominic Beale. I am the scientific advisor at the Food Allergy Science Initiative, or FASI. My background is in immunology. I did my PhD in Boston, mostly on cockroach allergen-induced asthma, which is kind of, sounds gross, but it was, it, it's, it's a very cool sort of research area.
0: One of the reasons it was great to speak with him is that he has that rare gift of being able to translate from the technical alphabet soup of immunology to the way you or I might approach things. Dr. Beale studies the immune system, but he doesn't treat patients. So he approaches it and thinks about it from a bit more distance. After speaking with so many other doctors about all the way things have gone wrong, I wanted to know, what is even the point of our immune system then? What is the immune system trying to keep you safe from? Like, What is the goal of our immune system?
1: All right. So I guess it's to protect you against disease in a broad sense, right? So disease being a state where you're not healthy. So There's the idea of your innate immune response, right? If you get a cut, you might get some bacteria or even just some dirt, some sort of foreign material introduced into the cut. Your innate immune system is the part that sort of comes in quickly and helps defend you against that and also helps set up your adaptive immune response and then also helps resolve everything and heal.
0: Our immune system keeps us from being sick. And it's important to understand that it has two layers. The innate immune system, and the adaptive immune system. The innate system, the one that we have from the moment we are born, itself has two parts.
1: I, when I think of the innate immune system, I, I usually think of, you know, like the, the cellular component, the white blood cells, macrophages, neutrophils, that sort of thing. But that's because I'm an immunologist. But the innate immune system is a lot of things that are not classically immune cells. So, you know, and like an epithelial cell, that might be able to sense the presence of tissue damage or bacteria and it could send out some signals that that would then recruit some immune cells. So your skin could be regarded as an innate defense. You know, it's a barrier, protects you against being exposed to a lot of dirt, bacteria, viruses, pollution in the air, particulate matter, and also helps you from drying out.
0: So our innate immunity involves all of the ready-to-act cells. On the other side, is the adaptive immune system. We're not born with our adaptive immune system. As the name adaptive suggests, it is a layer of the immune system that is ever changing to adapt to each new threat we encounter. This is the part, as Dr. Rothenberg said, that has memory and can learn. Antibodies are one piece of the adaptive immune system you have probably heard of, especially after two years of COVID. Here's Dr. Letterer from the lung episode explaining how antibodies work.
2: Antibodies are a type of protein. They're produced by B cells, cells of your immune system. Those antibodies have two parts to them. The front part is very specific. It will bind to, meaning it will kind of latch onto and never let go of something that is not you, right? So it should not normally bind to your you know, your lung cells or your heart cells. It should ignore that. But if a bacteria comes along or a virus comes along, there should be an antibody around circulating in your body that can bind to that and then uh, kind of tag it and say, guys, immune system, come over here. I found something. Can you please kill it? So the front of that antibody binds to something that shouldn't be there, bacteria, And then the back of the antibody is able to signal your immune system. Your immune system comes over and there are cells or something called complement, all these different ways that your immune system can then try to kill that bacteria or whatever that is. So if you think about it, that's kind of a beautiful thing, right? Your body has all these antibodies floating around that are ready and primed to kill off bacteria and viruses. Now, if you're exposed to a virus, That your body's never seen before, you probably don't have an antibody circulating around. But once you're exposed to that virus, your body says, okay, learned my lesson. That was awful. That, you know, rhinovirus or flu or whatever that was, was terrible. I don't want that again. And your immune system has a memory and it will remember, hey, I was exposed to that flu. If it comes around again, I wanna be prepared, so I'm gonna have antibodies already present in my body that are gonna kill it.
0: This is how the immune system learns. Every time we see a different threat, our innate immune system does most of the fighting, but our body creates new antibodies to be able to fight off that threat more efficiently in the future. There are a lot of different kinds of antibodies. Three of the most commonly discussed are IgG, the main antibody in blood, making up to 75% of all antibodies. IgA is in the mucus, like in the nose, saliva, breast milk, vaginal fluids, and bowel fluids. IgE we've discussed extensively as a key factor of allergies. I asked Dr. Beal to tell me more about these antibodies, and specifically, why do IgE antibodies stick around forever while COVID antibodies apparently go away?
1: I don't know where to start. So with antibodies, there's, you know, there's different classes of antibodies. It's IgE, IgG, IgA, IgM, E is kind of special because on on its own, it has like quite a short half-life. It doesn't really stick around that long in the body, but there's a few specific cells, mast cells, eosinophils, which have IgE receptors on their surface. And so when your B cells make an IgE, that IgE is secreted and it gets onto mast cells and eosinophils, which are in your tissues, in your gut, in your skin, et cetera. And so they become coated with this IgE, with the piece that is going to recognize the protein sticking out. So now that eosinophil or that mast cell is effectively an antigen-specific cell. If it sees an antigen that the IgE recognizes, it'll signal through into the cell and it'll it'll uh, do its thing. And the, and the problem with IgE is that it it can hang out on the surface of a mast cell and, or an eosinophil for a relatively long time. So that's why you can have IgE still doing its thing even long after your immune response is resolved. You can have IgE reactions for a longer time than and your COVID vaccine is making your, your body make IgG. But the whole idea of the antibody being able to sort of coat the outside of these tissue-based pro-inflammatory cells is good for your immune response in general. But in the case of allergy, it, it's, it's sort of gone wrong a little.
0: Here's a concept almost all the doctors brought up. There can be an initial IgE response. And even after the threat is gone, the mast cells and eosinophils with the IgE stick around in our tissues allowing for these chronic immune diseases. I wanted to know more about why the IgE does this in the first place. When we think about our GI systems and food allergies and other things that are going wrong, our immune system is constantly making choices. How is our immune system making decisions about what to react to and what not to?
1: Okay, yeah. So if we're talking about how it decides what to react to, I think so very broadly, there's there's this idea of your innate immune system having the ability to recognize things that are found in pathogens but are not found in your own body so these are called pamps It stands for pathogen associated molecular patterns and then there's also damps which is damage associated molecular patterns and these are things like lps in, in, on a bacteria or or chitin maybe on a on a fungus or double stranded rna that a virus makes, but your own body shouldn't be making double-stranded RNA. So your cells can—they have various receptors. They can recognize those molecules that shouldn't be there, and they can say, "Okay, that's that needs to be dealt with."
0: So step one in an immune response is for the body to recognize something that shouldn't be there.
1: So this is a, this is like a fundamental thing in in immunology—a a food quality control system that we have as humans and presumably a lot of animals have it too it's it's basically a a system that is evolutionarily necessary to protect us against exposure to harmful substances particularly in the in the diet it incorporates things you know to stop you from actually ingesting something in the first place so you might have an aversion to a certain smell or taste so as soon as you smell that thing or as or if you taste it, you spit it out or you don't even go near it. And then if, if you do ingest it accidentally or, or, you know, you don't have the aversion to the taste or smell and you end up ingesting it, then you've got other ways of, of dealing with it. Maybe vomiting or diarrhea, something like that.
0: IgE antibodies tag things that shouldn't be there. And the reason they team up with mast cells and eosinophils in your tissues is this rapid quality control to react quickly to things you need to stay away from or things you ate. And need to quickly get out
1: sort of similarly, these mechanisms that allow you to expel something, sort of runny nose, sneezing, coughing, runny eyes. all of these all of these reactions are also seen in, in an allergic response. And so the idea is that allergy, food allergy, and allergies in general are just a part of this quality control response or you know. A way that your body defends itself against exposure to harmful substances. So it's not, it's not so much that an allergic response is a mistake. It's just it's in the wrong place and it's 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 exacerbating and it's magnified to the point where you know you see the response and you know in some cases has really severe consequences.
0: But what does it even mean for the immune system to make a mistake?
1: Yeah, oh, that's a good question. That's a that's a tough question. So so the context matters. If you just see a cockroach allergen on its own, you're probably not going to initiate a very good response against it. But if you see that same protein in the context of some tissue damage or some inflammation, then those are like the extra signals that tells your immune system, you know, this is something that shouldn't be there, but also it's causing damage, and so I need to deal with it. If you think about what's going on in your guts, you're eating a whole range of different things, and all of those things just about are foreign material. Your body should recognize those as foreign and and deal with it, but that would you'd be sick constantly if that was the case. So your immune system and all of the all of the uh, different systems that are involved in managing the immune system and managing the immune response are all, Sort of constantly looking for, you know, a signal that this this is not just a a foreign substance or or maybe connected to a pathogen, but it's also causing damage and it actually requires a response to get rid of it because an immune response in and of itself causes you damage. It's it's not just a benign thing. So you don't want to initiate an immune response against everything. But I think it's all related to how your immune system needs a few signals to to make an immune response, and one of them is the is the inflammation, but the other one is, is also like the danger signal. And the two together, it makes the immune system say, okay, I'm seeing damage, I'm seeing inflammation, and I'm seeing this protein. This protein is what I'm going to target and get rid of this inflammation.
0: This is such a critical concept. I wanna make sure you caught it. The immune system is always there scanning for dangerous things. How does it know that something is dangerous? The first part is seeing PAMPs, DAMPs, and other signals of an other. The second part is context, usually inflammation. A PAMP or DAMP or peanut protein alone is not enough to set off your immune system, but a PAMP or peanut protein exposure at the same time as inflammation caused by an infection, inflammation caused by a toxic chemical, inflammation caused by barrier dysfunction, Well, now an immune response and an immune mistake is possible, or even likely. In fact, the specific context of inflammation may determine whether you end up with a Th2 allergic disease or a Th17 autoimmune disease. So what is the difference between autoimmune disease and allergic disease?
1: Okay, so the big difference is that in autoimmune disease, it's your immune system making a response, a reaction against something that is a self-protein or a self-item. You know, that's what's called autoimmune because it's it's part of what's expressed on your own cells. And in allergic disease, it is your immune system attacking something that possibly it shouldn't be doing. It shouldn't be attacking that thing, but it it is. Here
0: is his explanation for context. That can trigger an autoimmune disease?
1: In autoimmune disease, an infection causes some sort of inflammation and tissue damage, cells that are dying and they are, there's tissue damage going on. And maybe your immune system's already ramped up and going and it's looking for things, right? And it sees bacteria, it sees virus and it mounts an immune response against that. But also, maybe it sees components of a dead cell that it doesn't normally see, so the inside of a cell, for example, or, or proteins that are inside the nucleus, that which it wouldn't normally see. And in the context of the inflammation, it might say, okay, I'm seeing this brand new protein, and I don't know what it is, but I'm also seeing inflammation. Um, maybe this is sort of like a, um, a guilt by association sort of deal, where it's seeing this protein, that's your own protein that's made by your body and it's completely harmless and it's not associated with any pathogen but it's also seeing inflammation and it says okay we got to we've got to stamp out this this problem right now so then you get an immune response that is directed against this protein that just happens to be made by your own cells and so then you get autoimmune disease i know like a lot of people think that some viruses stress different bacteria and that sort of thing can be triggers.
0: And this is the explanation for context that can trigger an allergic disease.
1: So that could be the trigger for autoimmune disease. In the the case of allergy, there's a few different ideas. One kind of interesting idea is that sensitization to allergens might happen through the skin. And I don't know if it would necessarily need eczema, but some like small damage to the skin, to the barrier sort of integrity of the skin and then maybe the peanut dust or or whatever gets on the skin. And then there are, there are neurons in the skin that can sense the presence of different peptides. There's immune cells in the skin and they they're all talking and they might recognize, you know, there's a little bit of inflammation in the skin. So something's not right. Then there's also this peptide, this peanut peptide, peanut protein. And so the neurons, and the immune cells start chatting with each other and they decide that it's not right. And then they start setting up an immune response and it doesn't have to be limited to the skin because uh, you've got your lymphatic system that can allow immune cells to, you know, they can move from a tissue into the lymphatic system and then from there they can set up an immune response and they can go through the blood, recirculate, they can go to different organs and then you've got a, a food allergy that happens. So mm-hmm.
0: it's basically like like if 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 mold was in the and en, ended up on your skin when you also had staph aureus maybe you end up with an allergic disease to mold an allergy to mold whereas if mold gets into your body and in the process of fighting off the mold it creates this inflammation maybe you end up on this autoimmune disease pathway is that what you're talking about
1: Yeah maybe and I think this might be also where genetics comes into it. So, you know, thankfully, most people do not have allergic disease or autoimmune disease, right? So there's lots of different environmental triggers that that we know will be the trigger for autoimmune disease or allergy. But some people develop those diseases and some people don't. And so what's the difference? And I think the guess is that it's a combination of, of the environment and genetics. So, Like you said, you've got exposure to some mold, exposure to some bacteria, and, you know, that increases the risk. But maybe just the way that your immune system behaves in general due to your genetics, due to your, you know, exposure to pathogens in your childhood, due to the environment that you're growing up in. Maybe that just pushes your immune system in the the wrong direction. And someone else, they might have a quote unquote healthy immune response. But someone who who has just a little bit of a predisposition to that kind of immune response that may be a little bit more geared towards pro-inflammation, the type two immune responses, the allergy sort of thing. Maybe that environmental trigger or triggers pushes their immune system into an allergic response. It might not just be that. There might be a whole host of different things that maybe aren't even involved in the immune system per se. There might be things to do with your nervous system. There might be things to do with the way that you absorb nutrients or produce mucus in your gut or in your nose, all, all these types of things. So the genetic component is incredibly complex. And so it's sort of a little bit of a cheat to say, oh, it's genetics. But it's also very true, it's genetics. We just don't know the whole scope of what's involved. And it's probably not going to be something simple.
0: Before we go on, I think it's important to review Dr. Beale's comments about genetics. When we first learned my son was sick, everyone, even doctors, said, oh yeah, it's genetic. This made no sense to me because my husband and I have no allergies at all. But genetics is complex. Your genetics are not like software code that directly decides what happens to you. It's all about small differences that when added together and in the right situation might be enough to cause a meaningful change in outcome. Even so, we know that genetics don't change quickly. When you think about the immune system, it works more often than it doesn't you know why is the system making mistakes more often than it used to because it, it it seems like there's a thousand ways it can make a mistake but it clearly was doing great or better before
1: that is a huge question so just looking at food allergy the incidence is increasing in, in the united states and, and all over the world and also it looks like the severity is increasing getting more and more it can't be just genetics There's definitely genetics going on but it can't be that genetics is solely responsible for this increase because it's really just over the last 100 years or so genetics wouldn't work that quickly coming back to this idea of food quality control you've got this system where you're constantly monitoring for things that might be potentially harmful and you've got to lean towards the sort of the better safe than sorry attitude of like if you if you even think that something might be harmful best to get rid of it rather than chance it, because the the consequences of ingesting something that's a toxin could be potentially quite bad consequences. So you're erring on the side of caution, erring on the side of making a response to get rid of it. And so there might be things that have been introduced into the diet in recent history, so the last 100 years or so. Maybe we don't think of them as particularly problematic, but you're sensory system which includes taste smell the gut chemical sensors the immune system the nervous system they're looking at these things and thinking okay maybe this isn't great maybe i need to form some sort of memory or an immune response against this and make sure we don't ingest this next time there's you know certain medications that just didn't exist before we're now taking on on a regular basis antibiotics for example they they might not directly influence your immune system but what are they doing to your gut microbiome? And then, you know, just different kinds of foods, like processed foods. A lot of foods are high in sugar or high in salt. And just the way that your body tries to adapt to change in your diet and how the immune system is involved in that, how the nervous system and the sensory system is involved in that. It, it's incredibly complex. You might develop allergies. You know, you might eat a peanut. And your body would look at it and say, it's absolutely fine. It's just peanut protein. But there might be some component of the peanut. Maybe it's an enzyme or maybe there's some pesticides or something on there. Maybe you've been taking some medication that just tweaks your immune response to say, okay, there's something going on here. And the peanut protein is just there innocently hanging out alongside this thing that your body's deemed to be inappropriate or harmful that might be another way that your body would develop a, an allergic reaction against a protein or a piece of food. So is it in, the, in food or is it in pollutants in the air, diesel fumes? There's a lot of different research going on into, into these things, but it's got, to be, it's got to be something that's more recent. And I don't think we know what it is yet. There's always differences with the way that your immune system works from person to person. But in general, your immune system is pretty, as a lot of checks and balances, and it's pretty finely tuned. It's just that there's things that we are not sure how to deal with. Thankfully, the majority of people, we deal with it on a day-to-day basis without realizing it. But for some people, and more and more it seems, there's these complications that are happening.
0: In talking to Dr. Beal, we've unraveled that an immune response requires, one, the danger signal of inflammation, and two, the presence of something that shouldn't be there. This is normal and is supposed to happen when you are attacked by a bacteria or virus, or when you ingest, breathe in, or touch something toxic. An immune disease is when the immune system makes a mistake during its routine normal activity, and then there's just no way to undo that mistake. On the one hand, it's suggested that our environments have changed, that we are dealing with more toxic things like pesticides and air pollution than we used to. More toxic stuff, means more necessary immune responses and more constant inflammation. It's also just more opportunity for an immune mistake. We know that this is happening. Our environments have definitely gotten more toxic. So it's definitely part of the reason for an increase in immune disease. On the other side, however, we ourselves may have changed. We may either have weaker barriers, meaning more need for inflammation all the time, or we may be skewing more pro-inflammation. Human genetics haven't changed in the last hundred years. But did you know that over 90% of the genes in your body actually come from the microbes that live on and in you? Our microbiomes have definitely shifted drastically in the last hundred years, probably even in the last 30. Which means our genes have actually changed quite a lot. Dr. Rothenberg mentioned the microbiome, so did Dr. Chaisa, and Dr. Beale. What's going on with our microbiome? And might it be at the root of the rise in immune disease? That's next time on Fixing Sick. Fixing Sick was written and produced by me, Mina Lele. Audio engineering by Chris Whitmore. The opinions I state in this podcast are my own. My guests only said what they said, and any mistakes are totally my own.